nothing can ever replace that when you're like on a track and there's thousands of people in the stadium and how noisy it is and just the smell of like a hot Mondo track at a major champ. The smell of a track. You can't describe it. With Tony, he has so much experience that he can literally look at you and tell you what you need to improve. He's like a computer, like a hurdling computer or something. Over on the islands here, we don't necessarily have a plethora of coaches who are that knowledgeable or able to commit enough time. So we're doing our best just to try and sort of spread the knowledge a little bit. Hello, welcome back to the England Athletics podcast. On the show, you'll be hearing from Olympic, European and Commonwealth medalist Kelly Massey, She's been reminiscing about some of her proudest moments, opening up on the topic of life after athletics, basically what she has and hasn't missed since retiring. In fact, it's a topic she's now conducting an academic study on to find out more. I've also caught up with Joe Harding, a young sprint hurdler making headlines under the tutelage of Tony Jarrett, the English record holder. Elsewhere, our CEO Chris Jones has been out visiting clubs, on this occasion being welcomed through the doors in Guernsey. And finally, you'll hear some thoughts from colleagues who've been to a recent European Athletics Congress meeting in Tallinn, eager to find out if some of the issues faced in the sport here are the same around the continent. So, now time for our featured interview. Kelly Massey retired from competition two years ago, announcing the decision with a rather tear-jerking video as some career highlights posted on social media. But as you'll find out in this podcast, she has a whole range of passions and interests keeping her entertained. Kelly, we've worked together for a couple of years and you seem to be one of the characters I've come across in track and field. You hung up your spikes a couple of years ago and I remember you put a a rather emotional montage. Cheesy. Yeah, were you trying to make people cry? Um, Of course, particularly my mum, obviously. Um, I told her to get a box of tissues and to look on my Twitter and of course she cried, yeah. I think the first image was you running on grass, little Kelly Massey. I've got that picture here actually, I'm going to show it to you. I won't cry. Yeah, my ankles are still that skinny, I think. I just remember being at primary school and just wanting to win everything and just wanting to run all the time. At what point did you realise that maybe you could be good? Probably when I was about 20, 21, and I moved to the 400s, started training at the 400s. I was all right at ones and twos and a bit of long jump, but outside of kind of my local area, I mean, I never made an English school semi-final, never mind a final. But yeah, probably when I moved to the fours when I was about 20, 21. We often say that athletics is an individual sport. The relay squads that you've been part of and your friendships, whether it's been someone like uh, with Emily Diamond, where you've captioned posts instead of Valentine's Day. Valentine's Day! (laughs) Do you think that you've got one of the best team friendship elements out of the sport compared to many athletes? I don't know. I feel like with the 400 metres, like you do have that mutual respect and I know... A lot of the time I remember when Jerusalem Dwarka came and did the four leg for us at Delhi Commonwealth Games and she just did not get why like we wanted each other to do well, why we were congratulating each other and then after she ran her leg she was like I get it, I get it now and I suppose it's kind of like you know that you're dragging yourself through hell in training, you know you're going to get that lactic headache at the end of the race and yeah it's just that mutual respect for each other. I want to know what was said in the call room before you went out and, and ran in Rio. I want to know, you know, those last few minutes. Oh, it's always like the team hands in, one, two, three, GV, <laughs> standard. <laughs> Cheesy. 
And then, of course, in the last couple of years, they've made the relays a bit more of a presentation when you come out and you get to do your little thing. And, and some teams are like, no, no, we're just going to put our thumbs up. Were you one that wanted to get involved in that? Oh, yeah, well, I had a full routine worked <laughs> out. Yeah, me. <laughs> no one else was up for it, though. <laughs> Have there been any particular international tournaments where the squad spirit has been particularly good. I remember you telling me a story. It may not be a story you're able to tell, so I may have to edit this bit oh. out. There was a story you told me about the Delhi Commonwealth Games and there were certain concerns arriving there regarding the accommodation and stuff like that. They had, like, basically these monkeys... Go- I say monkeys going around on bikes. They weren't riding the bikes. There was someone pushing the bikes and there was a monkey sat on it. And I just thought, oh, it was to chase away the little wild monkeys, but apparently, no, they were for snakes. Bear in mind... I was sleeping on the floor with two mattresses together because I wanted a bigger bed on the ground floor. So I was like, oh, that was the last night I did that. But Sounds unusual, but possibly effective. <laughs> what do you mean, the monkey? Oh, I was sleeping on the floor with two mattresses. The monkeys. Yeah, that was a, an well, odd I once bought a packet of crisps in India, walking on the street, and a monkey <laughs> sort of distracts me and pulls them right out of my hand. Oh, there's yeah. a, I mean, there's a great story of how they try and take the monkeys away from popular communal areas so there's a man with a van and he takes the monkey and what usually happens is when he unloads the van when he gets to a more rural place the monkey uh, escapes out the back of the van and makes its own way back to the city <laughs> certain things aren't as effective <laughs> some great moments that you've had on england great britain teams um, and individually as well one of the things i want to ask people as, as part of this podcast is your proudest moment that you've had in an England vest. It could be a Great Britain vest. Mm. It could be your first ever England vest. Do you remember that? Yeah, I do. I've still got a picture somewhere probably on my Facebook. Myself, Louise Blur, who I met her last night for dinner. There was like this cuddly toy in like our England tracksuits. Like it was when England were had night kits. That's how long ago that was. Yeah, so I remember my first ever one. But proudest moment, I think it's got to be when I made the final of the Commonwealth Games. I think, yeah, definitely that. Because I I knew in my head it was always, like, my aim. And I think on paper I shouldn't have probably got there, but, yeah, it's a different story when you're there on the day, I guess. So this was in 2014, is Mm -hmm. that right? Yeah. Yeah. So it's effectively a home games as well. Who was there to support you? Um, Well, my mum and my nan. I never let my mum come to my races. I I don't know, I just didn't. And I let her come to that, so I let her come to my heats. Her and my nan came. And then got through, I was like, oh, do you want to stay for the semi-final? They were like, yeah, OK. And then obviously got through to the final, so they stayed another day. My granddad must have been like, where's my wife gone? And I think they only packed for like one day and they didn't have a hotel. So they were both there. But that was nice. I didn't really get to see them afterwards because I needed to go back and recover because I had the relays as well. How are you feeling putting on the kits and knowing what the atmosphere would be like? I don't know. Like I was just like so organised throughout the day. I wasn't nervous I wasn't stressed out I wasn't anything I just knew what I needed to do my lane wasn't the best lane but I suppose I could concentrate on me but it's weird when you're racing you're so focused I don't normally hear anything but literally I could hear the crowd the whole way around the track it was like this Mexican wave and obviously like coming down the home straight just got louder and louder but I knew from like 120 out I was gonna you know automatically qualify I was in I don't know, maybe I was in fifth coming off the bend, I'm not sure, but just knew I was going to get there. 
And tell me about the reaction of your, your family afterwards. That, I suppose that first moment when mm. you both get to react to something, it's, we've seen it in the past. <clears throat> when Liverpool won the Champions League, Jordan Henderson got to hug his dad on the pitch on live television. Well, I didn't actually see my mum until the final of the relay and actually managed to find her in the crowd. Bear in mind, she's so tiny. But for someone so small, she makes a hell of a lot of noise. So I can just imagine what she'd have been like when they're yeah, jumping up and down and cheering. But yeah, it was nice to actually be able to see her. She was there with a cousin in the crowd and the two of my friends who I used to work with had come up as well. One of them had just come back off holiday and a holiday with her girlfriends and then came back and was like, bye to her husband, I'm off to Glasgow. <laughs> yes, yeah, so that was nice as well. You've always been a key team player. Do you feel that that's something that people talk about too much? Would you like to be remembered more, you know, on an individual basis than someone who won relay medals? Is that something you ever think about? Predominantly in my career, I think I ran once at Europeans individually. Not very well, I had glandular fever that year and didn't actually know. I've done the Commonwealth Games individually, so I'm not surprised that I'd be known more as a relay runner because that's predominantly what I did at major championships. I have to touch on that where you said you, have, you had a glandular fever but didn't know. How did that come out? I did actually end up having blood tests afterwards. I just thought I was really, really tired because I'd done my teacher training year, my PGCA, so literally I'd wake up go to school, work, come back, do some more work, go to training, come back home, work, go to sleep, and literally that was every single day. And it was like I was burning the candle at both ends and in the middle, so it was going to take its toll. So as soon as I finished my PGC, I think I just literally crashed and burnt. I was fine to 300 metres, but anything after that, my energy was just completely zapped. Was that quite frustrating at the time? Yeah, definitely, because, like, the previous years... I was just getting a little bit better, a little bit better each year, and that kind of broke, like, the progression a bit. And, yeah, that was a shame. But, but in 2016, you competed at both the Europeans and the Olympic Games as well. That's something that some athletes could end up being yeah. uh, involved in this year as well. How did you do that without avoiding burnout? Well, I think because, obviously, I was only there as a relay, I only ran in the semi-final as well, it wasn't too bad for me because I had a lot of rest but I think probably the Commonwealth Games is obviously you have three rounds of the 400 have a bit of a rest and then I only ran in the final of the relay but I had like a massive training effect off that but you've got to remember all the hay is in the barn so to speak so the training's in the bag isn't it so all you've got to do is just make sure you maintain that good shape and you know just basically be ready for what you're yeah. preparing for all the time yeah exactly is the sense. yeah I can see that a smile's breaking out in your face as you're, you know, you're reminiscing. And then once I come to work with you, you you've hung up your, your spikes at this point. Yeah. I think it was just shortly afterwards. And I wonder whether the sort of the, the R word is, is a big word. We, we're talking about something that's consumed much of your life. Did you feel at that point anxious? I, don't, I think before I even said that, I knew that that was going to be my last season. But when I'd finished, I had my break. You know, it was fun. Get to do all those things you don't normally get to do. And then it came to the point where I'd normally start back in training. And I was a bit like, oh, I didn't know what to do. So I'd carried on training as normal. I mean, I trained on my own. I didn't go back with my group. I felt like I needed a bit of headspace. I knew I was going to retire, but I didn't want to say it yet. I wasn't ready to. I knew it was going to happen. You always know it's going to happen but you almost like don't want it to as well, if that makes sense. Definitely was the right time, but you're still going to have those regrets and think, oh, shoulda, woulda, coulda, and oh, if I'd only done this, what if, what if. 
you'll always have those but I think after like I'd done the video that people were like oh wow you've had such a good career blah 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 it's like yeah I have actually and I've done a lot of things that some people even people that are faster than me haven't even got to do so you kind of got to appreciate what you have actually done rather than think oh I didn't get to do this I didn't get to do that I think Kelly Massey who, as you heard there, has no qualms about being remembered as one of Great Britain and England's most trusted relay runners in recent years. And you'll hear more from her later, including the question of whether she's actually retired, given performances last summer. Let's go from talking about monkeys and the Delhi Commonwealth Games to an island, which competes at the Commonwealths, and uh, did pretty well through uh, Cameron Chalmers, the semi-finalist in the 400 metres. That's Guernsey, and that's where Chris Jones has been on a club visit. So here at Guernsey with Tom Druce, former international athlete and now athletics development officer for the island. Lots of activity going on on the track and you must be very proud of that. Yeah, absolutely. It's always a really nice scene on a club night like this and yeah, all ages and different events and different abilities all coming together and trying to avoid each other and avoid all the accidents. So yeah, it's good. And it must be inspirational for some of the younger athletes as well to have you uh, trackside and also people like Lee Merrion as well, people who have gone and performed at a higher level and are coming back and putting it back into the into the club, into the into the island? Yeah, I think so. I mean, um, a lot of the kids don't really know necessarily what we used to do. You know, a lot, a lot of the kids don't necessarily appreciate that, but what they do see is, um, you know, those coming through just above them. And, you know, we've got um, quite a few late teenagers who are just popping off to university around now who've sort of made it to national championships and things like that, which is still... You know something which the kids can aspire to and they can relate to a little bit more I think than maybe looking at you know what the likes of myself did back you know, we're talking like five six seven years ago now so you know a lot of them didn't really see that happening but um, you know some of them do sort of look back and they, when they get really into the sport they go back on power 10 and you know we're just about me and Leah just about in the power 10 era so um, it's always nice to to have those conversations when they happen. Just about in the power 10 era you're well and truly in the power and 10 era it's the likes of um my kind of generation who might struggle to to say that in terms of uh, future hopes for the club athletics and running on the island tell us a bit about that yeah um i mean we're, we've got a very strong sort of track presence i mean um got we spoke about myself and lee and obviously um there's also dale garland as well who went to the uh, 2008 olympics and the relay squad um it didn't get to run because they, i think they ran the same team and he's in the final so he didn't run but he was he was there as part of the team so that kind of, you know, led to myself going towards the 400 and then we've got now um, Cameron Chalmers who has surpassed both myself and Dale by some distance in the event. And then we've got, you know, a very good club, you know, set up in the endurance side. And um, yeah, we're really working quite hard on the field event um, side of it because over on the island here, we don't necessarily have a plethora of coaches who are that knowledgeable or able to commit enough time. And it's not like, you know, on, in, on the mainland, people move around the country mm. a little bit. We don't necessarily see that as much now. I can't really go out and, you know, pay someone mm-hmm. to do it either. So we're doing our best just to try and sort of spread the knowledge a little bit towards those field events and, and bring them up to, you know, a similar standard to what we're, you know, really proud of on the, on the track, I guess. And in terms of international competition, I know that we brought a team over here a couple of years back to compete with you guys and Scotland at age group level. Uh, more plans to do that in the future? Yeah, I hope so. I mean, it worked really well for us, actually, because um, we actually put out our best senior team. But our, even our senior guys, a lot of them are, are very young as well. So it did feel a very nice 
appropriate event really for for England and for Scotland. And um, yeah, it's probably one of my sort of proudest moments uh, in in my job because it was definitely the it was the biggest event I think that we we were saying was the biggest event we'd had in well over a decade. A lot of junior events around the around these sort of big events as well. Um, so under 13s, under 15s, etc. And we saw um, you know personal bests across the board really for the kids. They were really engaged and really sort of you know in awe of some of the performances they saw um, you know around theirs. And in terms of proudest achievements, you must be delighted when you see the new track, newly laid track here, and the the fantastic facilities around you. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's been um, it's been a really exciting time. I've been in the job since uh, early 2015. So um, a lot's happened in that time and, um, you know, a, a lot of time's gone into the coaching side and I've had a few, you know, like all of our, us coaches, a few successes. I'm really proud of a few lessons learned, areas for improvement. We spoke about the field events earlier. I think you can always work on the, on the development side. There's so many different facets that we can, uh, we can look to improve and, uh, and then that will bear fruit, hopefully, from a performance perspective. And uh, we're really lucky to have the NatWest International Island Games coming here in 2021, which for islands across the world is is a massive event and um it's quite a unique event to be honest even myself and lee you know we, we always committed to that event and it's it's uh, it's hard to explain to people who aren't necessarily from an island but um that's something which is a massive vehicle for us for the next sort of 18 months to really push the sport well thanks for everything you continue to do and everyone at england athletics sends you all the best and thanks you for everything that you're doing as well thank you tom Druce in guernsey talking to chris jones there bit of a 400 meter theme that we've got going in this podcast let's return to the chat with kelly massey and kelly now finds herself studying about what life after athletics is all about i asked her to explain how she got into the research that's being carried out at liverpool john moore's university i got asked to apply for a position at john moore's it was to lecture pe i was a bit like oh okay you know i've not taught for a couple of years because i've been funding full-time but I was like, yeah, go on, it's only maternity cover. So I ended up doing it for a year and I was a bit like, oh, why am I here? But then um, the position came full time and I was like, you know what, yeah, I do want to stay here. And as part of that, I don't have to do research, but obviously to progress and kind of, you know, stay in, stay in the game, I was like, yeah, I want to do research. So I picked up my old research project when, after I finished my undergrad, I worked for U-Sport Trust for a bit and that funded me to do a PhD around like physical activity, sporty children and like what the differences were between the two populations. But I was like, oh, you know, this isn't really sparked my interest. And I was just driving home one day and I just thought, because a few people had said, why don't you do a study on yourself? And I was like, oh. Sounds very narcissistic, know, and it's study yeah, on me. Like, oh, get me, yeah, like <laughs> a bit of ego massage. But um, <laughs> so I was like, okay, maybe. And I was thinking about that and I thought, you know what, retirement, like it's, the support around it is becoming brought to light a little bit more. It's more of a hot topic, yeah, maybe. More yeah, discussed. definitely, definitely. And the support around that. So I just thought, yeah, I'd really like to do some research around that. In doing that, you reflect on what's happened to you mm. as well as others. I mean, there are some people that maybe retired a little earlier and had found a new passion. Mm. Richard Buck maybe is a good example. He decided to go into acting. I remember he spoke about that and it was a point in his life, I think he described it to me as, I'd locked myself in, in my room and I realised there were people out in the big wide world doing other things and, yeah. and they weren't constantly revolved around training and so to find a new passion was almost a release of energy mm. for him. 
baking has become more of a love for you. How did you oh, discover? That's always been a love for me. <laughs> How did you discover? Who doesn't love cake? <laughs> I wonder whether there's there's less guilt in just enjoying baking as a passion now. But how did you get into that in the first place? My nan definitely. I mean, it skipped a generation with my mum, bless her. Um, but yeah, my nan. I got her recipes for pastry and you know different cakes, and then just look around what else is out there, and I try and mix them together and come up with my own ideas. So. I don't know. I think I'm just a feeder. I'm a feeder. That's what it is. Yeah, I was going to say, if if you're eating all of the baked goods that you're posting on social media, then you know. That's not even half of the (laughs) stuff that I make, though. I make loads more than that. What baked goods, and this is definitely a question you weren't been asked before, what baked good do you think fits you as a person? Is it a cheesecake? Is it some sort of macaroon or... I do love a cheese A butterfly cake, cake maybe. Oh, no, no, I'm, not, I'm not that delicate. <laughs> rainbow cake. Got to be a rainbow cake. <laughs> I think I'm just a little bit of a mix of everything. One colour for every day. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Another passion for you has been dancing. It's taken several forms. Casual salsa dancing, but also uh, you've been part of like a dance group or a dance troupe performing as well. Oh, no. Ages ago, I used to see my friend Katia and her sister Pilar. We used to dance at functions we did man united stadium their christmas functions one year i don't really say we're a troop but um yeah we used to do stuff like that was... well you claim what you like <laughs> yeah that was good fun though there's no dancing power of 10 for everyone to, <laughs> no, uh, no. to get clarification on that that must have been a different sort of stage for you to perform on yeah but i wasn't really a high standard athlete then so um yeah that was just something that we did just because it was fun but everybody hated going on nights out with us because literally we'd have a dance routine for every song (laughs) not that we'd like go on stage or anything or in the middle of the club and move people out the way or or anything (laughs) weird like that just like occasionally might (laughs) pop out a few moves what don't you miss from competing lactic headaches not being able to wear the shoes that I want to wear although my Achilles do still bother me now what else don't I miss? I don't know, because I still do some of the training now, but I like it when I'd still do a few 350s, but I get to last rep and I'm like, nah, I'm going home, Steve, like to my coach. And I suppose I that's kind of a, a healthy transition whereby you, you're still able to maintain a good fitness and you're still enthusiastic about it and you know that you've got a good base that you have to to maintain but yeah. the pressure's gone exactly yeah and like i really enjoy it now there's like i'm not bothered about my time so just like that's the way i keep fit that's the way i like to keep fit you know i've still got friends in the squad i've still got friends who on the gb team yeah that's my friendship group so it's not i don't go down there to hit a time or get another session in the bag i just go down there because that's what i like to do you still get to experience the banter yeah. of the training group. Oh, everyone gets a nickname, even if they just come down for one session. But then actually, no, some, in fact, I don't think I really have one. Andrew Steele's normally the one that comes up with the nicknames when he was in the squad. But if someone's been sick, they just absolutely get hammered, I think. Or if they fall over, they just get absolutely hammered by everybody. But yeah, it's just normal banter that I think most training groups might have. Let's fast forward a little bit. And it's the summer of 2019 last year and supposedly you've, you've been retired for some time you turn out at the UK Women's Athletics League for sale Harriers and uh, end up competing in several events including the long jump <laughs> I suppose that's Kelly Massey putting her hand up and then 
being told, yeah, you can do the long jump as well, can't you? I did more events than anybody else in that team that day. So my friend Katia <laughs> Hazel, Katia Lannan, a multi-eventer, she was like, oh, let's go and do one for the club. I was like, okay, so it did that. I was supposed to do the 3K, thank God it got changed to the 8. But yeah, so I was in the... 200, I did the 8, I did the long jump and both the relays but my friend Katia, obviously multi-events background she was fuming because I got promoted to the A and she got moved down to the B but it was awful, did I even get 4 metres? I don't know, it was awful Long, long jump, you got 486 oh, yeah. You've done your research yeah. <laughs> I enjoyed it's it, it was table. that day it was But you'd also, a couple of years back you'd thrown the javelin as well for Sale Harriers Yeah, just for a point, I'm a point scorer now but it's funny in the 4x4 relay they're like, oh, will you go first, will you go first I'm like, no, I'm going to go third so I don't have to do any work. And when we get the baton in seventh, so I was like, oh, for God's sake. So then the managed to get us into second then. <laughs> and a good job. I hope you got a drink bought or at least a, no. a brownie. No, <laughs> I'm the one that supplies the brownies. <laughs> okay, maybe you need brownie resources, you need flour and butter bought yeah, for that'd you. Be that'd be a bit weird. Someone doing your weekly shop, mm-hmm. basically. Talking about the pressure off. Maybe, though, for you, when it came to the anniversary games um, and the relays involving household names past and present, um, like Montel Douglas, Goldie Sayers and Christina Horogu, all in the relays, mm. you were very keen to have the best team. Oh, no, it was on. It was on that day. We were going for gold, 100%. We were taking no prisoners. It was so funny, though. Everyone was warming up, banter. But as soon as we got into like the little call room before we went out, everyone just went silent and was so serious about it. That was, it was actually really good fun. But, yeah, we weren't taking prisoners. We were 100% going to win that. You could have gone around twice, and one was the joke you made. What did it feel like again to be out in that stadium and experiencing that crowd? It was fun, but it does make me miss it. I just think nothing can ever replace that when you're like on a track and there's like thousands of people in the stadium and how noisy it is and just the smell of like a hot Mondo track at a major chance. The smell of a track? Yeah. like What's a the smell Mondo, of a track? I, you can't describe it. It's just a hot Mondo track at a major chance, like a freshly laid track. It's just... Yeah, it smells, I don't know. You need a bit of track it. and you can, you can just sort of, you know, sniff it <laughs> to mind yourself. It wouldn't be the same, it wouldn't be the same. <laughs> Let's give you a bit of quick-fire questions now. So, <laughs> relay or individual? Individual. Why? I thought this was supposed to be quick-fire. <laughs> Slow-fire. Long jump or javelin? Javelin. Dancing or sprinting? Oh, now dancing? If you'd asked me a couple of years ago, and said sprinting. Amazing. 400 or 200? 400. Got to stick to your guns there, I suppose. Yeah. Baking or sprinting? Oh, oh no, this is too hard. Can you not ask me easier questions? But... Cooking or running? <laughs> That's not easier. Running. <laughs> Brilliant. Well, it's been fascinating to hear some of your insight and just what it's like to have the pressure taken away but still maintain fitness and be enthusiastic about it, still have access to that training group. You're on a journey at the moment where you're learning more about what it's like to retire and move on from the sport. What are you excited about, you know, in the next couple of years? I've got a few of the athletes that I do a little bit of coaching with, so I'm excited to see what they do uni-wise. The students are in their second semester. I'm really looking forward to seeing what they finish off with. And then hopefully... We'll have my first study out this year, so we'll see, yeah. What's the one bit of advice that you give to 
young athletes, bear in mind that you mm. said you felt you blossomed when you were 21, mm. 22, 23, and these athletes are younger. I don't know, just think it's a long game. As I said, like I never made an English school semi-final. I never went to an age group champs. Either do you want like little quick successes now or do you want when it really does matter at the top level? But 100% get yourself a mentor. Speak to people who've been there, who've done that. I always say that. If you want to know how to do something, go and ask someone who's done it. Nice bit of advice there. Should we go and get a brownie? Yeah. <laughs> There's no question that one big thing to pick up on there was how much of a late bloomer Kelly was how she started to believe that she could make the highest level when she switched to running 400s aged 21 or 22, never making an English school semi-final and uh, clearly someone who enjoyed the sport and kept going and eventually reaped the rewards. Well, Kenny mentioned that she's been mentoring some young athletes and there were plenty on display at the recent England under-20, under-17 and under-15 championships in Sheffield. One of them was the sprint hurdler Joe Harding who won the under-20 men's title and I caught up with him afterwards. So the lights probably seem to go out here in Sheffield. I found Joe Harding who's just won the under 20 60 meter hurdles final. Well Joe saw you make a name for yourself outdoors in Bedford it was last year. You were under 17 then but it seems like whether it's indoors or outdoors whether you're an under 17 or up an age group now just seem to be full of confidence. I'm just ecstatic with the performance. I didn't have the greatest of heats, but I tried to rectify that in the warm-up. I kept in mind what all my coaches said to me, tried to calm down, relax and focus. I feel like I did that well in the final, whilst also running as fast as I can. And I'm just pleased with the outcome, pleased with the gold medal as well. Well, we've got coach uh, Jake Awe with. I understand you have a number of coaches, including Tony Jarrett, former Commonwealth champion as well, one of the greatest... British sprint hurdlers of all time. What's it been like watching uh, Joe improve? Oh, it's been fantastic. He's worked very hard while being at Oakland's College. First of all, got a big up Tony Jarrett. Uh, obviously, does a lot of the work with, with Joseph um, over in Newham. Uh, and then myself and Ralph Rackleton, we're the support system for him. So um, it's been a great team effort between, between us all. Uh, he's worked very hard and he definitely deserves what he's got today. The under 17 level, I was mentioning, I think you're the third fastest all time. You're certainly right up there. Did you even maybe think, okay, I'm coming up to a new level there, I might have tougher competition. When changing age group, especially with hurdles, you have a lot of doubts because it's basically a new field. You have a new distance and new height as well. But I feel like the main thing that you need to do is always stay motivated and just literally believe in yourself no matter the circumstances, no matter who's your opponent. Just literally keep on believing in yourself and put everything you've got into the track. Do you prefer indoors or out? I feel like the indoors is probably better suited for me, but I just have a lot of athletics in general, so no matter whether it's indoors or outdoors, I just want to train to be the best in any situation. Right, forget athletics for a second. Tell us something else about you, what you like to do outside of athletics, what music you like, what um, other stuff you like. You're repping the colours of Basildon. Yeah, but I've been at Basildon for a long time. Something random about me... I like tracksuits. <laughs> I love tracksuits. I don't like wearing jeans often. Tracksuits are comfortable, functional. But yeah, like I said, I've been at Basildon for a long time now. Also having the support of, for example, Jake Auer, Ryan Fulkerton and Tony. With Tony, he has so much experience that he can literally look at you and tell you what you need to improve. You don't have to watch it back. He's like a computer, like a hurdling computer or something. 
Nice one, Joe. Thanks for not ducking away when I asked for a little chat. Sounds like someone doing a karate chop in the background, but it's actually uh, staff clearing away at the English Institute of Sport in Sheffield after a, a long weekend of uh, setting up athletics equipment. Talking about competition and turning to a wider view than just England athletics. As I mentioned earlier, some colleagues have been to a European-wide conference meeting in Estonia to find out what kind of ideas are out there and what sort of problems are faced by other countries. So Chris Jones caught up with them. Let's see how they got on. Hi, I'm here with Scott Grace, Technical Lead for Youth Development, and Dean Hardman, Head of Commercial and Member Engagement at England Athletics. Both uh, guys have recently been in Tallinn, Estonia, for the European Athletics Congress Here to tell us just a bit more about what other federations are doing in the area of athletics and running at this current time. So welcome, chaps. Thanks for joining me this afternoon. Uh, Just quickly from you, Scott, you give us a bit of a flavour for the event, uh, how often it's held, who attends and and those kind of things. Yeah, so it's an annual uh, convention that the European Athletics holds. This year it was around competition. So there was representatives from each member federation who had a particular interest in, in competitions along with the the lead person within them of a federation so typically the president or the ceo uh, i was there as a presenter representing england athletics they were interested in uh, youth participation so yeah it was, it was us sharing good practice with the rest of the european member federations but also it was a great opportunity to do a lot of networking uh, and find out what other european countries are doing what we can learn from them how we could potentially apply it back in in the work we're doing in England. Do you get a sense that some of the challenges we face here in the UK are very similar to challenges European-wide? Yeah, very similar. With regards to whether it's a big member federation or a small, so big being like Germany or France, uh, and smaller ones such as Malta, etc., it's still the same challenges that everybody faces. Lots of interest from other sports for the same young people. There's a, a decreasing amount of time available for physical education in the school's environment. Trying to keep more young people in the sport is an issue that affects all of the countries in Europe. Um, the need, the, I guess the need to embrace new competition formats and innovate is being felt and experienced across Europe. I guess some of the resistance to change that we sometimes see is also being experienced across Europe. We had a comp- conversation, a, a roundtable discussion about DNA and the principles of it rather than necessarily the practice because there are all sorts of different ways you could execute it and one chap from from Latvia this isn't athletics and he's right it's not athletics in the in the way that it's been delivered over the last 40 or 50 years or, or more and actually his, his view is absolutely valid we've, we've kind of got it got to as part of these conversations retain the essence of the sport give kids an opportunity to participate in something that mirrors or certainly that has the look and feel of what they get inspired by on TV when they're watching international athletics, but that makes it more accessible and gives them a better chance of sticking with it. So all of the, all of the things that we've talked about previously on this podcast, when we had the, the discussion with uh, Tony Minicello, Abigail Rosaru, and Nomio Vita, these are all conversations that happen across Europe. And it was, it was reassuring in many ways that a, other countries are having those conversations and B, that they were getting together to, to discuss common suggested solutions. Myself and Dean had a good chat around how do we ensure that everything that we do in England is is impacted on the masses. So not just those who are on a pathway to elite success or, or have that desire to go to that pathway of elite success. 
whatever options uh, are available and um, what else could we do. So, so one of the, the topics that I mentioned when I presented was a, a piece of work that Dean and I are currently working on called The Blast uh, competition format, currently in a pilot phase, which will be very exciting moving forwards. In terms of recruiting coaches and volunteers and having capacity within the sport to be able to deal with new participants coming in or to keep existing participants in the sport, do you suspect that those are equally challenges for European federations? Because the amount of insight work we've done and some of the, the actual projects and programmes we've created, we're probably further ahead in terms of looking at solutions to the problems. But the problems are still the same, as in increasing the amount of volunteers, because a, a lot of European countries still rely on volunteer workforce. And so, Dean, from a competition perspective, Scott's mentioned the uh, BLAST concept, which we've been piloting in a few clubs across England. Short format, team-based, everyone gets a run, jump, throw, etc. What are they doing in Europe? Is there anything we can learn from what's been applied by Europe? So in Germany, for example, they've had a 10-year process whereby they've looked at what their standard competition offer is for kids who are under 11. Up until under 15 or under 16, I think, they insist that at the national championships, every athlete must do more than one, one event group. You know, an individual who might, might have the entry standard for the 100 metres, that's great, they go and compete at the 100 metres. They must also meet a second entry standard. The second entry standard is never as high as it would have to be for, for their primary event, but they must compete in another event at that national championships. So there's some quite interesting discussion about how the German Federation have, have taken a long time, 10 years, to first of all look at what, young, what really young children do in the sport. And it's a bit like team sports, really, where now we're realising that Smaller sides, smaller pitches, smaller goals, slightly modified rules are probably most appropriate for kids of that age. And of course, we have some good practice in this country around sports, all athletics and a number of other competition formats. Moving kind of to, to a sort of bigger picture, European athletics at, their, at the European Games last summer trialled a, a new concept called Dynamic New Athletics, DNA, that was an international team competition. And while there was lots of relatively positive feedback about that as a spectacle for spectators and for uh, for the international athletes. It actually transpired over the course of the day at the convention that that format, which is team-based, a slightly smaller number of events than you would normally find in a full athletics match, and, and mixed in nature men, boys and girls, men or women, that that would be actually much better suited to young athletes and club, club athletes at a more grassroots level. Small, relatively small number of athletes required, a mixture of running, jumping and throwing, you know, some, some other innovations. That, that could really be seen as a potential solution to some of the issues we have at, at club level around big teams travelling long distances, that kind of thing. Dynamic New Athletics came from really more of a, the perspective of a broadcaster or, or a fan engagement opportunity. That there was a recognition that traditional athletics, whilst it's very popular around championships time, there perhaps is a, a lower attention span uh, for the sport when it comes to sort of more regular viewing. So Dynamic New Athletics was an attempt to present a version of the sport, I guess a bit like 2020 cricket or um, other, you know, we saw Rugby X piloted it uh, recently in London that could be packaged up, that fans could engage with it on social media. Really, it's two hours it's seen as winner takes it all, i.e. that the last event 
anybody could is still in with a chance of winning the overall prize because the the race is staggered. So you get you, you set off out, out of the blocks at timing intervals based on the points that your team has won previously in the match. So in theory, somebody could come from last to first in the final event. Six track events, three field events. You know, you'd need fewer athletes per team than you might do for a, a league meeting that, as we know them at the moment. And from a youth development perspective, Scott, it all sounds very promising with the advent of concepts like phonetics, you know, introducing uh, run, jump, throw activities for younger people, but also the long-term athlete development model embraces uh, a multi-event, combined event approach. This kind of co uh, competition seems very much aligned to those principles, yeah? Yeah, very much so. I think the idea of having this staggered relay at the end is quite a nice, exciting new approach and a way to do it. It could be something unique that maybe universities apply. Athletes who have left athletics for whatever reason, social reasons, trying a different sport, when they go off to university, if they want to come back into our sport, do they come back into it and then I'd, I'd put off it quite quickly because they don't want to do the long days and lots of travel because it's a traditional format. Would this be a new way of appealing to that age group, which would be a, a quite a positive one? Well, thanks to Dean and to Scott and Chris for chatting through some of those reflections. Well, that's it for this podcast, but I hope you've enjoyed some of the themes that have been discussed. And as always, if you have any comments or anything you'd like us to talk about, get in touch via social media or englandathletics.org. Our website for now, though, thanks for listening and goodbye. Mm -hmm.